you all are welcome to have a seat where you are. It, it is, um, it's a privilege to have the opportunity to do ministry alongside my brothers, Jesse and David, who worked very hard to put that text together this morning. And I, um, I was, <laughs> I, I cried in the first service and I thought, well, I got that out of my system. Um, it's a perfect picture of what the body of Christ is meant to be. And we, we talk a lot. If you've been here over the last couple of months, uh, we talk a lot about the breadth of expression that God has brought to this body and that all of us have a role, no matter who you are, where you come from, rich, poor, black, white, grew up around here, grew up someplace else, young and old, that God has a role for each and every one of us, a place to contribute. You know, and even as we're taking the offering here this morning, you know, the generosity that is required in order to, to see God glorified in the, in the various ways in which it happens, both in our church and in our city, is astounding to me. I mean, thinking about the work that Connie and her team do on a regular basis, I'm so excited and anticipating the, the, uh, the event tonight at six o'clock. I've been looking forward to it. We're going to talk about anticipation this morning. But even just the, the generosity of spirit that it takes on the part of our brothers and sisters who are performing in the event tonight, um, that, that's representative of generosity that happens all over the place. There are so many beautiful things that are happening. And if you're here and you're a part of this church and, you, um, and maybe you haven't quite found the place where you plug in yet or you haven't had the opportunity to just give of your time and your talents to just plug in and, and join in the generosity that's happening around here, I would really encourage you to do that. You know, a lot of times when we see... Um, offering baskets like these past, there's sort of this mentality that goes, oh, well, you know, the church has to do that in order to keep the lights on or whatever. Look, if God wants the lights on, he'll keep the lights on. The reason that we take an offering or the reason that we give uh, the, the, of, of our time and our talents, our efforts, is that there's real joy in being able to give back to God out of the overflow of what he's given to us. And if you haven't had the opportunity uh, to engage in that, to participate in it, I highly encourage you to give. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean in those offering baskets, but to give of your time. We've got uh, opportunities to serve at Christmas Boulevard. There are always opportunities to mentor and plug in with your neighbors and friends. There are so many ways in which to give back to God and to enjoy the blessings of just being generous with the life and breath God has given us. If you haven't had the opportunity to enjoy that, I, I would encourage you to, to join us and to participate in it. Well, we're, we're starting a um, a new series today that'll take us through Christmas. We're kind of pressing pause on our Hebrew series and uh, we're entering into a, a time of uh, preparation for Christmas. And even as I talk about anticipation, we're looking this morning at a, a story of a guy named Simeon out of Luke chapter two, who was anticipating Christmas, even though he wouldn't have called it Christmas. He wouldn't necessarily have thought of it in those terms. But there's this great story in Luke chapter two about a man who was waiting for the coming of the Messiah and was excited. You know, we, we anticipate, I, you, you probably, if you're like me, you you look forward to Christmas every year, right? When the Christmas trees start to go up, and I know there's kind of a common like grumbling thing that happens where you sit around a table with people and they go, oh, can you believe it? You know, Target put out the Christmas trees in July this year, you know? And they, they say that as if it's like a bad thing, right? And I know... I know that part of what people complain about when they're saying, oh, can you believe how early they put the stuff out is the consumerism and whatever. But don't you think that at some level, like the reason we put out the Christmas stuff earlier and earlier is that we're all anxious for what Christmas brings. There is in some way kind of a selfishness that goes along with like, I can't wait to have candy canes again and they only sell those at Christmas time. I can't wait to have that peppermint tea that Trader Joe's only sells in December. Like there are things we look forward to and the sooner we can get 
that Christmas stuff up, the hope is that the sooner our souls will be satisfied in sort of remembrance of the great Christmas memories we have in the past. There's something we're hungry for. And each and every one of us sort of feel like the Christmas season will scratch that itch or it'll satisfy that hunger in us. And so the reason why they put up the Christmas trees as early as they do and they start selling the ornaments as early as they do is that there's a demand for that, right? There is a demand for it, which is why the stores supply it. And as much as we might want to complain about how early it comes out, the reality is that all of us sort of look forward to Christmas. We anticipate, I remember one of my, one of my most, uh, like, easily recollected memories of going to my grandmother's house in Albuquerque is she had this cabinet in her hallway, a low cabinet, and in it she kept all of the, uh, the, the catalogs from all of the, you know, the big stores like Sears and Montgomery Wards and whatever. Those of you who are young, you don't have any idea what a catalog is. It's like a, it's like a website in a book. Uh, and, uh, me and my cousins, we would go, and as soon as we got to my grandmother's house, we'd go to that cabinet, and she kept them on the bottom floor on purpose, but we'd go and we'd get those catalogs, and we'd sit at the table for hours, not, not looking at rugs and furniture, but going through the toy section at the back, right? And they made the toys look so much better than they ever were in real life. I mean, they're like, they're, the G.I. Joes are doing awesome stuff, which they never actually did, and, but we'd circle the stuff we wanted, and we'd spend the week prior to Christmas going through, pouring, I had those catalogs memorized, and what's funny, then you get to Christmas, there's been all this anticipation, you open up all your presents, you see the things that you've gotten, and then the day after Christmas, the deal is, we go right back to the catalogs, looking at what we didn't get and what we'd like to see next year under the tree, you know what I'm saying? So there's kind of a preparation already for what we want. Why? Because the reality is that that thing in us that we're hungry for, that, that feeling, right, that feeling or that satisfaction, that peace, that merriment, that joy that we're hoping Christmas will bring, it doesn't necessarily always bring. And in the places where it brings it, it's typically not very long lasting, right? It typically satisfies us for a moment or two, but then immediately we come out of it feeling like, oh, now Christmas has passed. Is that, is that all it was? Is just that? And so there's this anticipation and this cycle that happens in us as we wait for Christmas, we look forward to it, and then once it's passed, we kind of go, Okay, well, maybe next year I'll have that feeling. You know, let's see what it feels like. Kind of go back to the catalogs and look at the toys again. In Luke chapter two, we see the story of a guy named Simeon who was anxious and anticipating Christmas. And get this, can you, I mean, it's hard as a kid. It seems like time stretches on forever when you're waiting for Christmas. You know, it feels like a week is like a month. Can you imagine waiting for Christmas for 700 years, right? That's what Simeon did. Not that he was 700 years old, but the prophecies of Isaiah that Simeon was counting on in the coming of the Messiah had been given some 700 years prior to the coming of Christ. So he's been waiting, his father's been waiting, his grandfather's been waiting, his great-grandfather's been waiting, and on and on down the line it goes. Every one of these people anticipating the coming of the Messiah and Simeon is the one who has the opportunity to hold the child Jesus in his arms. Talk about anticipation. Talk about satisfaction. We see this great story here in Luke chapter 2. Look at what it says in, uh, in verse 23, just kind of the 22, the setup here. It says, when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to the Jerusalem. That's Joseph and Mary bringing up the Lord Jesus, bringing up the, the baby. They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. They brought him up to offer a sacrifice according to what is said 
in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There's a little bit of a nod here to the poverty of Joseph and Mary because the provision in the law was that they could offer a more, uh, a, a, a more expensive sacrifice. And if you couldn't afford the more expensive sacrifice, then you were permitted to offer pigeons or turtle doves. The fact that that's what they're offering is just sort of a nod to the fact that Joseph and Mary didn't have a ton of money. That also helps us sort of figure out the timeline with regard to when the wise men come. By the way, if you want your, you want your nativity set in your house to be accurate, uh, you got to take those wise men and you got to put them at the Exxon, like three miles from your house, right? You got to, they, they're coming a lot later. You can't have, yeah, just whatever. You don't, it doesn't have to be accurate. It's fine. Leave the wise men there. At my house, we're going to put GI Joes in the nativity. It's fine. <laughs> but it says they come to offer this sacrifice. Look at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. We don't know a lot about Simeon other than the fact that he was waiting and we get a little bit of a description of his character. The first thing it tells us about this man Simeon is that he was righteous and devout. Righteous and devout, which means that in some ways he is the kind of person that we've been talking about in our Hebrew series, right? In the last couple of weeks as we've been studying Hebrews, we've been talking about the fact that those who lived under the old Levitical system, who were obedient to those laws and the sacrifices, that even though that they were participating in that system, there was always a sense in which that system was a shadow and a copy. They were always looking forward to the reality, the real high priest making a real covenant in a truer reality, right? We talked last week about turkey bacon and the fact that whenever you're eating turkey bacon, you're always sort of looking ahead to the time when you can have real bacon again, right? That it's a shadow and a copy. Simeon is a perfect example of someone who was obedient to the laws that have been laid out, but he recognized that those weren't enough. Even though he was devout and righteous, he was waiting in anticipation for something more. Waiting in anticipation for the coming of the Messiah. But in his waiting, and in that, that time where he'd been waiting for Christmas to come, even though he didn't know the word Christmas, it says that in his waiting, he was righteous and devout. I think that's really interesting because for me, a lot of times in the midst of waiting, righteous and devout is the last thing that defines my character, right? If you've seen me in line at Target, you know that when I have to wait a long, I, I do this, thing. by the way, it's the second time I've talked about Target in the last five minutes, so that's probably indicative of a problem I need to address in my own life. But when I go to Target, I always do this thing where you get to the line, and especially now it's super busy there. You get to the, to the checkout place, and there's all these lines. And maybe you do this too, but you, you go, okay, which one of these is going to go the fastest? Can I tell you that 100% of the time, I pick the slowest line. I have a gift. It's a gift. I don't know how to capitalize on that, but I am capable of picking the slowest line. And when I'm waiting in the slowest line at Target, behind the lady who thinks she had a coupon once somewhere in the bottom of her purse, kind of wedged between some old M&Ms and a paperclip, uh, while I'm waiting for this lady to figure out what she's doing, I'm not becoming more righteous and devout. You know what I'm talking about? I'm getting worse and worse the longer I'm being forced to wait. In my impatience, it doesn't lead me to devotion and holiness and righteousness. In my impatience, what my, my tendency is to want to take things into my own control and switch lines, which at that point then becomes the slower line, right? I move over there. I can move lines like five times. They all become the slowest one immediately. I find myself not righteous and devout in my waiting, but I tend to find myself frustrated and prideful, thinking I deserve something different, and certainly <laughs> increasingly sinful as I wait. Not Simeon. 
Simeon is a man who's waiting, and in his waiting, he's righteous and devout. Not only that, it says in verse 25, he, he's righteous and devout and waiting for the consolation of Israel. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, this is important. It, it's not that he's just waiting for the coming of the Messiah. He is waiting for the coming of the Messiah. He is waiting for that moment when he'll have the opportunity to see the Lord Jesus and hold him in his arms, which is happening right here in this very same story. But the bigger picture is not just that he's waiting for the arrival of a person. He's waiting for the bigger picture of what will happen and what is announced through the arrival of that person. We'll see it in more clarity when we read his blessing in a second. But understand that this guy Simeon, all of his waiting is rooted in the prophecies that he's seen in the Old Testament. Keep your finger in Luke 2 and turn with me to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 is one of these prophecies that a guy like Simeon would have sort of staked his claim upon, right? It says this, Isaiah 40 verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken." When it says he's waiting for the comfort or the consolation of Israel, he's waiting for the Messiah to return for the effect that that will have upon God's people, that they will see his salvation, that they will be brought comfort, that their iniquities will be no more, right? It says in Isaiah 52, just flip over a couple of chapters, Isaiah 52, verse 7, another one of these prophecies, says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. You know, I've been, uh, I've been in the midst of prepara- uh, preparing for a walk through Bethlehem. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I'm, I'm growing my beard out because they've appointed me to be a shepherd. So I, I'm getting my beard long and gross. I'm really sorry about that. I'm good, but I want to be convincing. And in fact, in that convincing deal, they've told me I can't wear my glasses when I'm a shepherd because they, they're not period. So if you come to walk through Bethlehem, if you come to Christmas Boulevard and you go through the walk through Bethlehem thing, which you should, uh, if you're trying to figure out which shepherd is me, I'm the one that keeps tripping over the sheep and falling. I'll be laying on the ground. Somebody has to help me up. I'm not going to be able to see what I'm doing in the dark. But I've been memorizing my lines for Walk Through Bethlehem, and I love the script. So if you've had a chance to see it, you'll know. But there's a, there are all these characters in it that are representative of us. Our Christmas theme is unto us, that God comes not just to the, you know, the kings and the mighty and the emperors and the rulers, but that he comes to each and every one of us, just the regular people. Some who are anticipating, some who are annoyed, some who are frustrated, some who are excited and worshipful, that he comes to us. One of, the, one of the characters in the script I really love is the character of this prophet. You'll see him when you go through the walk through Bethlehem deal. But the prophet stands up on this stairwell and he looks at the crowd and he says, you need to know, the Savior is coming. He's supposed to be born any time in the city of David. We're looking forward to the arrival of the Messiah. And there were people during that time, they didn't know the name Christmas, 
But there were people who were looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And it wasn't something selfish. I think sometimes for you and I, when we look forward to Christmas, right? When we anticipate Christmas, ultimately what we're anticipating is something self-serving. We're anticipating the way it makes us feel when our homes are filled with our family. We're anticipating maybe the gifts under the tree or even the joy that we feel when we give a gift to somebody else and they love it. Like, that's a pretty good feeling. For some of us, we anticipate certain kinds of treats or we anticipate certain events or or even parties or gift exchanges or whatever. But very seldom are we focused and excited about the joy that Christmas brings to those who desperately need a Messiah, right? Right? The joy that Christmas brings to those who are waiting for consolation and reconciliation and redemption that is only found in Christ. This is what Simeon's excited about. Not just that Simeon will be able to hold some baby, but what Simeon is waiting for, righteous and devout, what he's waiting for is a transformation in Israel, the comfort of God. Jesus himself says, I've come to seek and save those who were lost, which is an allusion to what it says in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 11. Ezekiel 34, 11 says, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I'll feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be their shepherd, will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Simeon is waiting for the return of the Messiah, not for himself alone, but for the comfort and consolation that will come ultimately to the world through the return of this Messiah. That's what he's excited about. That's what he's anticipating. Not only is he righteous and devout in his waiting, not only is he waiting for the consolation of Israel, but it also tells us that he's a man who is filled with and obedient to the Holy Spirit. Look at what else it says. Back to Luke chapter two in verse 25. It says, his name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, the Holy Spirit is upon him in the way that the Holy Spirit would come upon people during these times. The way the Holy Spirit indwells us is slightly different than the way it would have come upon somebody at this point, but still the Holy Spirit is guiding and directing him. So it says, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Look at verse 26. It has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the spirit, he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. Simeon's not just a man upon whom the presence of God's spirit resides, but he's a man who listens to God's spirit. God's spirit had made him some promises and he's obedient to the spirit. The reason he's even in the temple on this particular day at this particular time to lift up the child Jesus in his arm is because he's obedient to the Holy Spirit. Again, I think for many of us when we're waiting, right? And you may be someone who's been praying for something. You've been asking God to give you deliverance or answers in a particular realm, and you're waiting for God to move. For Simeon, he and his answers have been waiting for 700 years for the Messiah to come. 
And he's still a man who's guided by the voice of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, to obey the Holy Spirit. I think for a lot of us, we kind of want to take control, don't we? When things don't happen immediately, when they don't happen in the time frame that we've set up, when they don't happen right around the corner, then we start to sort of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and force things to occur. But that isn't what Simeon's done here. Simeon is a man who's patient and content to be dependent upon God's spirit. That's important for us in our, in our waiting. Simeon is devout and righteous. He's a man who's looking at not only himself, but at others in his waiting. And he's led and filled and obedient to the Holy Spirit, which leads him to a place where on the day that Joseph and Mary bring in the child Jesus, Simeon is led to this child and he's able to take him up in his arms. I was thinking about that just practically. It's not, it's not always, just for the record, it's not always a safe practice to just pick up somebody else's baby. Uh, if you're, you don't want to take this as a proof text for that. In fact, my son Hank, uh, when he was little, he, my son Hank was a super cute baby, little guy. He had a, a white blonde hair that stuck out in all directions from the top of his head. So he's like a little fuzzball, you know, a little puffball. And if he was in his car seat, he was super cute, and you would look, and he'd go, you know, he'd make these cute little sounds, and he'd smile, and he'd reach out his arms like he wanted you to pick him up, but if you picked him up, you would regret it, right? Because then he would start to scream bloody murder. You couldn't make him stop. He'd wiggle and freak out and whatever. We'd take him to church, and he'd be in his car seat, because that was like the one thing that would sort of console him. We'd take him to church, and we'd look at the ladies in the, uh, in the nursery and say, hey, look, you know, we know he's cute. We know you're, at some point this morning, you're going to want to pick him up. But don't do it, right? You will regret it. Do not pick this baby up, no matter how he tries to trick you into doing so, right? And we go into church, and they had one of those, uh, they had one of those flashing signs, you know, that has like a number, like they give each kid a number. Our kid's number was 666. So we'd go in and... Uh, <laughs> They knew us, right? They'd seen us before. So we go in and we'd be waiting in the middle of the sermon and there's the number for Hank and we're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, like one of those people in the nursery, they saw the cute kid who had his arms outstretched, big smile, they unsnapped the seatbelt and they woke the dragon, you know? And we'd have to go, we'd have to leave church. We'd have to take our kid and go because there was no consoling him. I love the fact that apparently uh, Simeon is able to take up the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus is uh, maybe nicer than Hank was even as a baby. Oh, it's so beautiful, right? He takes up the child Jesus into his arms and he blessed God and said, look at verse 29. Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. God keeps his promises to Simeon. God keeps his promises to Simeon. He said to Simeon, you won't die until you see the Lord's Christ. And now Simeon is holding this baby in his arms and he says, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I'm, pre- I'm ready to die because it's never gonna get any better than this. The thing that God has promised me, I have seen. The Messiah is here. I've held him in my arms and I can depart in peace because you have acted according to your word, he says. By the way, if, you, uh, if you're ever interacting with somebody who has a new baby, sometimes that can be complicated, you know, because some, some babies look like aliens, you know, and so it's sort of hard to know what to say when you, you know, somebody's like, oh, here's our baby. And you're like, oh, you know, but uh, <laughs> take, a note, take a note from Simeon here. When you see someone with a new baby go, well, I can die now, right? Now I've seen your baby. That I got, there's, it's all downhill from here, folks. I'm ready to die. Lord, take me. I've seen this baby, right? Simeon recognizes that even his own life is in service to the purpose of God. 
that his own life is dependent upon the whim and the will of God, he holds this baby in his arms and he says, now I can depart in peace because of Christ. Simeon saw his life in service of God's purposes and even his death, a fulfillment of God's plan. He says, look, you've got a purpose here that's bigger than me and now I've held this baby and this blessing tells us, when we talked earlier about what does he mean when it says he's waiting for the consolation of Israel? Well, we get a real clear understanding of what it is that Simeon's expectation was by the blessing that he prays. Look at it with me. He says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. He's talking there about the sovereignty of God and he, Simeon, as God's servant, you're letting your servant depart in peace. He's talking something about the power and the control of God about the purposes of God. He's talking about the peace of God, right? He says, according to your word, the faithfulness of God, the commitment of God. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. What is it he's waiting for? The consolation of Israel? What does that mean? The salvation of the Lord, as it says in Isaiah. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the people. It's not just talking about God's faithfulness and his salvation, but God's provision, about his illumination, about his revelation, that he declares these things in open space for people to see. My eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples. Verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Well, that might have been a little bit startling in the middle of the temple, right? That he's holding this baby, the Christ child. Most of the Jewish people that were waiting in anticipation for the Christ were waiting for what that would mean for Israel and Israel alone. But Simeon sees broader than that, the big picture of reconciliation that God will bring to all the peoples of the earth through Christ. He says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. He talks about the worth and honor that is due God, reconciliation, unity, revelation, illumination, provision, salvation, faithfulness, peace, sovereignty. Listen, have you ever had a Christmas party or a gift exchange or a family gathering that brought all of those things into your life? No. Whatever it is that you've been anticipating about the Christmas season, whether it's the decorations or the celebrations or the turkey or the roast or the Christmas wrapping or whatever it is, the the songs, none of those things can satisfy our soul the way the Lord Jesus Christ does. And when Simeon holds this baby, he says, now I can depart in peace because the thing I'd been anticipating, the thing I'd been waiting for has been fulfilled. The salvation and illumination, the unity, the worth and glory of God, the salvation of God revealed in this baby. When's the last time that you, uh, that you gave your children a gift and they opened it up and they went, well, now I can die, Right? That's it, it's all downhill from here. No, because the things we give only satisfy us for a flash. The Christmas cookies and the fruitcakes and all of the things, the trappings of Christmas, they satisfy us for a moment and then it goes away. We're anticipating the wrong things. When is the last time that you were excited about Christmas for the way in which the coming of Christ brings reconciliation and redemption to our world? That what got you excited about putting the Christmas lights on your house was not just the way your house would look, but the fact that it is a sign or a symbol of the greater light of the Lord Jesus that they desperately need, that we all desperately need in the darkness of the world. What is it you're anticipating? Because you know, there is a call for us to wait as well. There is a call for us to wait as well. This isn't a story where we just look at Simeon and go, oh, that must have been hard to have been born during a time period when Jesus hadn't been born yet. Like, I don't really know what that's like because from the time I was born, I've always known that Jesus was the Messiah. 
From the time I was little, I was taken to Sunday school and it was just always a done thing. He'd already, already been here. And so in some ways you kind of go, well, is there any anticipation? Is there any waiting that we are called to? And the answer to that is absolutely. We are absolutely called to wait. One thing for sure is that we are called to wait in anticipation for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is coming again and he will reconcile all things to himself. That he will restore all things to the way they were created to be. That he will do away with sorrow and suffering and pain. And we should live in anticipation of that. I'll tell you, in the generation in which we live, there is a a beautiful movement for Christians to care in increasing measure about the way in which we impact right here where our feet are planted. That we care about justice and that we care about equality and that we care about loving our neighbor and that we care about all of these beautiful things, making sure people have freedom, right? But what can sometimes happen is the pendulum swings too far the other direction and we get so focused on where our feet are planted now that we stop looking forward to the return of Christ when he will do what none of us can do in any of our programs. When he will set everything right by his power. Everything we do prior to that is just a shadow and a copy of his ultimate and perfect peace. Right? There is a call for us to wait as well. I love John 14, 1, Jesus himself says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. I love that. Acts 1, 9. Remember when, uh, when after the ascension of Christ, right? He goes up into the sky and the disciples are just standing there with their mouths open like, is he coming back or what, you know, is that the end of the thing? And there are angels that show up. Acts 1, 9 says, uh, when he had said these things, that's Jesus, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Right? Like, what are you doing here, knuckleheads? You're, you know, flies are going to get in your mouths if you don't close them, Right? Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming again. The Lord Jesus will return and we have the opportunity to live in anticipation and excitement for the return of Christ. And we should live in anticipation and excitement for the return of Christ. But there's also a call for us to be anticipating and exciting the ways in which God's love and reconciliation, the ways in which his peace and justice and mercy will break into our present world. When we put our Christmas lights on the house, when we go out with people caroling, when we wrap the gifts, when we do whatever the other things are that we're doing to celebrate Christmas, do we do so in anticipation of the way in which our world desperately needs to know Christ? Are we waiting in anticipation for the ways in which Christmas makes a difference to those who are hurting and lost and broken? And I don't just mean that they maybe will be able to come to an event like Christmas Boulevard and have some cookies and hear some good music and make some friends. I'm saying that when they come, they have the opportunity to hear the gospel. When they come to your house for a Christmas party or a gift exchange, that they have the opportunity to see the glory of God in the face of Christ put on display in you as ambassadors. Do you come into the Christmas season with anticipation and excitement for the ways in which everyone in the world needs to know this Savior? We've absolutely been called to wait. And I mean, Titus makes it really clear that while we wait, we should be living lives of holiness. Titus 2, 11, 
It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who were zealous for good works. What's that say? That the grace of God has come, not just so that we can be idle, right? Simeon wasn't idle in his waiting. No, in his waiting, he was devout and, and holy. He was devout and righteous. He was dependent upon the voice of the Spirit of God and obedient to the movement of the Spirit of God. In his waiting, he was obedient. The call is for us, according to Titus and passages like that, for us in our waiting for the Lord to return, to live godly lives while we await the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, to be zealous for good works, not because that earns something for us, but in response to the grace of God which has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. In response to that, we live holy lives while we wait. There is a call for us to live righteous and devout, a a call for us to be listening to and obedient to the Spirit of God, just like Simeon, in anticipation for the return of Christ. The reality is that the consolation of Israel that Simeon was looking forward to isn't even completed yet. We now join Simeon in waiting for ultimate reconciliation. Simeon saw the beginning of that with the, the child Christ but the completion of it is still yet to come. Simeon saw the beginning. We participate now in something that he himself anticipated. But not everybody will be excited. Not everybody is excited about Christ. In fact, there may be some of you here this morning who when we talk about Jesus, when we talk about the incarnation, when we talk about God coming to earth and taking the sins of mankind upon himself, there may be some of you here this morning who, who your heart's just kind of turned off by that, Right? You know, I don't really get it. I like the Christmas thing. I like the music. I like the lights, but I'm not really into Jesus. Well, the, the Bible says that, that that can and will be the case with some, that for many, it will be a source of stumbling, it says in the Bible, that the coming of Jesus will be a, a, something that's difficult to sort of wrap your brain around. In fact, Simeon mentions that at the end of his blessing, back to Luke chapter two in verse 33, after his blessing, it says his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is is a sign for the rising and falling of many in Israel, a sign that will be opposed. And he says to Mary, even your heart will be pierced as with a sword, because of the pain that will be brought. The reality is that there may be some of you who are opposed to the sign of Christ, whose hearts are are hardened by the thought of God coming in a body to die for the sins of mankind, to extend resurrection life by his grace. Some of you may be here this morning and you just don't get it or care. But can I say this? In the same way, in the same way that Simeon was willing to listen to the Spirit of God and be led to the child Christ, he's only in this place at this time because the Spirit of God led him. In the same way, I wonder if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I wonder if you would open yourself to the leading of God's spirit. Jesus says that the spirit will draw us to himself. I wonder if there aren't some of you here today who will be drawn to Christ, the resurrected and living Christ, not the baby Christ, not the cute little thing, you know, the little child in the manger that we see all the pictures of, 
But the resurrected and living king, a greater high priest of a greater covenant in a greater reality. I wonder if there's some of you here today whose hearts have been hardened by who Christ is. But if you will listen to the spirit, that God will draw you to his son in the same way that he drew Simeon to the baby Christ. He will draw you to the resurrected and living Christ this morning. As we close, the question is, what are you, what are you waiting for? I, I'm guessing that most of you are anticipating Christmas, right? You're excited about the season, excited about all of the different places in which it begins to appear. But what is it exactly that you're excited about? What is it exactly that you're anticipating? Is it, is it just getting together with family? Is it just eating treats that you're not allowed to eat any other time of the year? Is it just singing songs that you remember from when you were a kid? Is it just going through the catalogs and circling all the stuff you want? Or are you anticipating the arrival of one who brings consolation and comfort, salvation, sovereignty, grace, love, mercy to a world that desperately needs all of those things? A light to a world that in many ways is more lost in darkness day by day. Are you anticipating Christmas for the right reasons? Are you anticipating the right things about Christmas? And can you see the ways in which all of that other stuff can allow you to focus on what truly matters. You know, I've invited the band to come back up and we're gonna, we're gonna worship through song now. This song they're gonna, they're gonna sing is one that may be familiar to you. And if it is familiar, I invite you and welcome you to sing along if you'd like. But this also might be a good time, if the song's new to you, or even if it's not, it might be a good time to just sort of let your hearts rest in it. Allow the song to sort of wash over you. We'll put the lyrics up on the screen. I wanna encourage you to, to, to worship, not necessarily even through uh, vocal participation, but through active participation as you just listen and receive and respond to the Spirit of God as a band, uh, as a band leads us in this next song.